0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Kind of get a little idea of where we're going today. That we were all made for more, but I can allow shame and guilt and even unforgiveness to keep me from getting there. And what shame and guilt have a way of doing for each one of us, they make us feel ugly. And not only they make us feel ugly, they can run deep. And when shame and guilt begins to run deep, it becomes a barrier between me and God. And so I can't allow these to, to keep moving in me. Or if I do, I ultimately become the worst enemy of my, my life is me. So turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And what I found about us as human beings, we're all very similar. None of us are flawless. Every one of us in this room have done things that would classify as shameful and guilt. And so again, we're going to hit the scriptures today just to give you an insight about how to get set free. So we begin in Matthew 22, verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that it had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now you can read the previous verses, it'll tell or explain what that was about. Then one of them, a lawyer or a religious expert, asked him a question, tested him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now the law that they had was regulations and rules and there was over 600 of them. So this religious leader here, he's literally breaking them down and he said, teacher, tell me what's the granddaddy of them all? And so Jesus says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Everything within you, you're to love God. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. On these two commandments, everything in the law and the prophets is summed up in these two. All 600 plus rules and regulations. They're summed up in one word, love. We're to love God and we're to love our neighbor in a twofold meaning. But I want you to go back into verse number 39. And I want to hone into something in here that there's a truth or a nugget in here we must understand. And it says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Amplified says you'll love your neighbor as you do yourself. And so when you look at this, what he's saying here is if you don't love yourself, it's impossible to love other people. And when we talk about loving ourselves, it's not in an arrogant or selfish way. Or in a better than thou way. But to love myself is to learn to to base my love on what God says about me. Now, in Psalm 139, it says this that God wonderfully and fearfully, and He skillfully created every one of us in this room. So, to help you out with that a little bit, God doesn't make any junk. So, my past sins, my past failures, My past guilt and my shame, they try to keep me from moving in this area. But when I begin to live by the Word of God, it helps me to have a a healthy self-image. A healthy self-esteem. And every one of us, where we like it or not, we have a self-portrait of ourselves. How we view ourselves, and oftentimes the way we view ourselves or the image we have ourselves is not healthy. But the only way I have a self-image is I begin to see myself the same way God sees me. And it's very important because many people, if we are true about how I see myself, will say stuff, I like me or I dislike me. But again, I cannot give away what I don't have. And so if I was asked you to write now, do you like you or do you dislike you, It could ultimately mean maybe you need an extreme makeover. Maybe you need to start seeing yourself how God sees you. Because the enemy will try to ink every one of us with things we've done in the past. He'll try to write on your heart the very shame and guilt you have. And if I allow him to, it will will disrupt my destiny that he has for me and ultimately... All I do through this thing called life is I limp. I never fully live like God desires me to. And so we're going to help you today biblically to begin to change that. So turn with me to the book of of, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Now you begin to find out that oftentimes the healing process begins with the forgiveness of other people. But today, a healing process will begin when I learn to forgive myself. Now, I'm going to read here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. And when we begin to break down both of these verses, in each verse, there will be a nugget in here that if I'll get a hold of what the B I B L E says today, it'll change me. It'll change the way I see myself, and it'll change the way I view myself. So we begin in Romans 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, or I urge you, therefore, brethren, sons and daughters of God, born again, new creation realities, by the mercies of God, or by God's mercy, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Now, remember in the Old Testament, when they would come into the temple, They would have to offer animals as sacrifices. Not here. He specifically says we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We should offer our bodies or all that we are as a sacrifice day by day by day by day. And you may ask, uh, how do we do that? Well, keep reading. That you are holy, that you are devoted, that you are consecrated or purified. Acceptable or pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that word reason literally means to pertain to reason here. And it's a rational response to God's mercies. At the end of that verse where it says you are to present your bodies as acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, the Amplified says it this way. And your spiritual worship. So, what I am to sacrifice to Father God is my worship. When I begin to worship God, it will begin to change me. If you worship God from your heart, you're gonna come into the presence of God. And when I come into the presence of God through worship, I'm gonna be changed. The Bible's very clear that God inhabits the praises of his people. So when I come into worship and I praise God, man, God shows up. And when God shows up, not only does he get blessed by my worship, I get changed. You're going to be changed. Now, listen to some of these passages of scripture here. And I believe they'll help identify how we can worship. Psalms 47.1 says, clap your hands. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Now you may have never realized this. That's a form of worship. Many people when they attend church, some will say, I never grew up in a church where we clapped our hands. Well if you study the Bible, that's a form of worship. Even if you don't clap on beat... Pastor, our praise and worship team will tell you it is cruel and usual punishment for them to have to stand right here because I think I'm the clap director. But they said, our drummers will tell you, we can't even look at you. We get so far off the key. Well, I I clap to a different beat. Oh, God enjoys it, so I... Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come in here and lift your voices. That's a form of worship. Listen to this next one. Psalms 134, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Now maybe you were raised in a church where you never did that. Or maybe you were never raised in a church and you came in here and you think, what are all them nuts raising their hand to? Raise your hands in the sanctuary, right here in the house of God. you know, raising my hands is a form of worship, and when you look at what I'm doing to a degree, you know what it's saying? Father God, funnel everything that you have right into my heart. Just funnel it in here. And not only that, this is a, a universal symbol. When a child grows up to his mommy and daddy or does this, what does this mean? Pick me up. Pick me up. So when you come in here and you clap and you shout and you raise your hands, it's a form of worship. Psalms 95 verse 6, let us worship and bow down and kneel. Something happens when I bow before the King of Kings and I raise my hands and I kneel in a form of worship. And again, anytime I worship God from my heart, it's going to change me. I cannot help but get into the presence of the Lord when I worship God. And so when we worship God, you know what it does? It takes all the focus off me and it puts the focus on Him. And man, it'll begin to change you. Worship God. You are a living sacrifice day by day by day. That means in your car. That means in the shower. Worship God. That's the first one. The second one. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. Don't allow this world to mold you, to shape you. The, the behaviors and customs of this world. One translation says "For the world is, it's this godless system. This godless system that goes against the flow to God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do you know that word transformed means to be changed? And oftentimes when you look at this in scriptures, it's like going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. You can crawl around on your belly your whole life or you can fly like a butterfly. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed. How? Notice what he says next. By the renewing of my mind... Or the renewal of my mind. And so what begins to happen is when I begin to read the Word of God, the Word of God changes my thinking. It begins to allow me to see myself how God sees me. And and the more I get in the Word, the more that transformation begins to take place. We are recalibrating our minds. It is a mindset change. Our minds are a lot like a transmission in a car. You're either going forward or you're going backwards. Now, here's the thing about a car. Who puts that car in gear to go forward or backwards? I do. I've never jumped in that car and that that car just spin the tires in reverse on its own. I choose that. And so even in this situation... I must get the Word of God in me because oftentimes we feel bad about ourselves. We're critical of ourselves. We have this self-imposed guilt upon ourselves. But when I begin to get into the Word of God, the Word of God will begin to tell me who I am. The Word of God will tell you who you can be, what you can have, and what you can do through Christ Jesus. But oftentimes we have this thought, but I've been bad, I've been bad, I've been bad. You know, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, The Lord has qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance in light. You have an inheritance. But if I don't get into the Word of God and find out what my inheritance is, I never get to that place. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, As a man thinketh, so is he. Your life will follow your patterns of thinking. So get into the Word and God will get into you. Begin to meditate on the Word of God day by day. So he goes on to say, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. And the word prove there literally means by practice in everyday life day by day. So what am I to prove? What is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Now if we really want to understand that in a better way, if we reverse it, the will of God is this, that you are good and and you are acceptable, and you are perfect in God's eyes. And the way that begins to happen, get in the Word of God. I don't care how much shame is in your life. I don't care how much guilt is in your life. I don't care how much unforgiveness is in your life. I've got to get into the Word of God. And when you begin to get into the Word of God, God will change you. So you see two areas. You want to see change? Praise and worship God from your heart. And number two, get into the word. Now, for time's sake, in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, there's two sisters, Martha and Mary. And if you study the story, Martha's busy. Martha's busy, 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 busy. She's doing, 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 doing. And she gets mad at her sister Mary, and she said, Jesus, go in there and get after her. She doesn't want to help to do anything. And Jesus says to Martha, the stormy swan paraphrased editions, Martha, you got to chill, girl. Chill. You're all goofed up. And he specifically says this. Mary's found the good part. And you know what the good part is, he said? She sits at my feet and hears my word. To sit at Jesus' feet is to come before him. To hear the word. So guess what he identifies there? You want to see a change in your life, Martha? Are you real busy doing, 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 doing? Then get at Jesus' feet and hear the word. And so what happens right here is Martha is trying to receive the things of God by her do instead of her who. And so what we try to do, we try to get the things of God, and we think, God will approve of me because of what I do. No, no, no. You don't get good to get God. You get God to get good. Tweet that one, okay? (laughs) Too many times we want God's approval. I'm not going to be approved through, through my own doing. I'm approved by who Jesus says I am. You know, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 says this. I am the righteousness of God through doing the dishes. I am the righteousness of God through going to church. I am the righteousness of God because I hadn't cussed for two hours. That's not what it says. It says, I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. So when I begin to see myself through Christ Jesus it begins to change my do, Because I'm now walking in who I am. And so when you try to fix you, man, it's a never-ending process. But when I begin to allow God to change me, whoo, you're going to see thanks. Incredible thanks. Now I want you to go with me to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And in this passage, this is the story of the prodigal son. This story will relate to so many of us right here. And as you're turning there, Part of the process, you're going to Luke 15, part of the process to to be healed and to let go of shame and guilt is in the area of forgiveness. Forgiving other people, but also forgiving myself. 1 John 1, 9 says that God is faithful and just to cleanse us and forgive us if we'll confess our sin. So if you go before God and you believe the Bible and you confess your sin, God will forgive you. Now here's the thing. God will forgive you, but will you forgive you? Because if I don't forgive myself, I'm holding myself to a higher standard than even God will. And many people will say this, well, you don't know what I've done. Let me turn that back around on you. You don't know what I've done. See, many of you think I have angel wings. I have a past. Just like you. That's why I started out. Every one of us have shames and guilts. But if I'm not careful, those shames and guilts will keep me from the promised land. They'll keep me from my destiny. So again, it's very healthy you to forgive. Now, we begin in Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portions of good that falls on me. So he divided them in his livelihood. Now, what's going on here, I believe, is this young man, he's saying... I want my freedom. I want to live however I want to live. I want to do what I want to do without you telling me what to do, and I want you to fund it. That's a great thought, isn't it? I can't find this biblically in here, but I believe this guy was somewhere around 17 to 18. Now, I'm just going to throw this out there to you. Every one of us in here, if you're above 17 or 18 right now, then you've been 17 or 18 sometime in your life. Let me give you a little history about 17 to 18 year olds. They think they know everything, but they really don't know nothing. Now if you're that age, I'm not, I'm not casting a stone me because I use myself in there. And so what happens in this is we have the thought, I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences. You know, I found this out in life. You're going to learn one of two ways. You're going to learn by wisdom, and with wisdom comes discipline, or you're going to learn the hard way. Just for voting principles today, is there anybody in here that learned by wisdom when they were 17 or 18? If that's you, raise your hand. Looky there. There's a few. You know what? These ones will raise their hand. We need them to lay hands on us, the rest of us. Because if you notice, I didn't raise my hand. My theory was, I'm going to learn the hard way. You can do that. That becomes a choice. But when you learn the hard way, just understand this today. On your heart is going to be inked guilt and shame, and you're going to cause pain. Mark that down today. I don't care who you are. But with wisdom comes discipline. And with discipline... You say, I'm not going to allow my flesh and I'm not going to allow my sinful desires to dominate me. And so you know what that means in the area of discipline? You can't let your flesh have an option. You can't let your flesh have a vote. If your flesh votes, it's not good. Let me ask you something. How many of you give yourself an option to go to work on Monday morning? You can But your bank account's not going to be good. How many of you give yourself a vote on on Monday morning? Let's just vote today whether I get up and go to work today. You live by that theory. You need stupid cast out of you. Maybe I shouldn't have quite said it that way. We better keep reading, okay? Okay. Verse 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possession with prodigal living. Now, listen to the definitions of prodigal living. Wasteful, reckless, and loose from restraint living. The New International Version says wild living. Now, this is what this young guy goes to. He goes to wild living here. Verse 14, and when he'd spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to want. It was broke. So guess what happens? When the the money runs out, your lifestyle runs out. And when the money runs out, you lose all your friends. And so this is what's happening to him, but guess why? He He was a product of his own choices. Verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, what this begins to reveal is he's going to the bottom of the barrel. His life is rapidly going this way. He's downgraded himself so bad. And understand this, when we read through this oftentimes, we don't get the true meaning. But understand, he was a Hebrew boy or he was a Jewish boy. For a Jewish boy to go to work for a Gentile, number one, this was a no-no. You didn't go to work for them, but how far down he had gone, he started eating the pig slops. He was hanging around with the pigs. Now, if you look at a Jew's life, they stay away from those pigs. They don't know what they're missing. I kind of like them. I kind of like bacon. I kind of like pork ribs. That's beyond the story. Okay. And so, this is how far down he goes. This is how bad shape he is in. Keep reading how things begin to, to, to take progress here, I believe. But when he came to himself, he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and despair? And I perish with hunger. You begin to see his heart begin to change. And and within this young, arrogant boy, he's broken. He's alone, and he's hungry. And to a degree, you almost hear him saying, "I, I don't know that I'll be allowed to come home. I wonder if I can go back home. Verse 18. I, now watch the eyes in here. I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven... And before you. And so literally, you know what he's doing? He's saying, I'm gonna go back. And I'm gonna repent. And I'm gonna ask Father God to forgive me. Now you begin to see, hear his words and what he's saying. And he goes on to say in verse 19: And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, if you'll catch that in there. He he says, I'm going to repent, I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm no longer to be worthy to be called a son or a daughter. I'm only now a servant. But I don't believe that's the way God wants to see us. But that's the way he saw himself. He didn't see himself as a son. Verse number 20. So he arose and he came to his father. Now I want to highlight this right here. He arose and He came to the Father. The Father didn't make Him do that. And the Father won't make you do that. But something happens when I yield to the Father and I willingly come to Him. When I willingly come home. And so He goes to the Father. But then He was still a great way off His father saw him, and he had compassion on him, and he ran and fell on his neck, and he kissed him. I want you to picture this. Here's this son who I believe is embarrassed, he's guilted, he's shamed, and he's wondering, if I go home, will the father receive me? Will he look at me and say, stupid, you made your own bed, now sleep in it. But as he goes home, you begin to see the patience of Father God. And that's toward every one of us in this room. God is patient, but also you see his mercy and grace. And so when the Father saw him from a distance, it said the Father ran at him, ran toward him, charged him. Now I want you to picture this, because if you're eating up with guilt and shame today toward yourself, understand when you make the move to go back to God, God runs at you. And not only does he run at you, He's going to form tackle you. He's going to dog pile on you. And he's going to hug you. And he's going to kiss you. And he's going to have compassion for you. God is not a God who stiff arms us. God is not a God who says, I don't want you. And so this son, he goes all the way back to Father God. And guess what? This shows. God forgave him. But will you forgive yourself? Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you hear this? The father's hugging me, and he says, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. I'm no longer worthy to be called your daughter. You know what the world says? You know what religious says? Shame on you. Shame on you. You're a bad person. You're no good. But you know what Jesus says? Shame on me. Jesus says, all the shame and the guilt and the unforgiveness you have for you, just put it on me. And see, a lot of times when we see that Jesus died on the cross, not only did he die for your sins, he took your guilt and your shame. And Jesus says, put it all on me. Give it all on me. But again, the devil will try to say, oh, God would never accept you. All the bad things you've done. Again, none of us in this room are flawless. Every one of us in this room have some prodigal within us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. That verse is written to every one of us. God doesn't identify you by that old man. God identifies you by the new man that's founded in Christ Jesus. Keep reading with me here. Verse 22. But the Father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe. Put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and his sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let's party like it's 1999. (laughs) Boom! Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found and they begin to be merry. I want you to catch that in verse 24, the very start. For God said, for this is my son. He didn't say, this is my sir." He said, this is my son. This is my boy. And when we respond to God in the very same way, this is what God does with us. This is how God looks at us. So this is the, the, the story of repentance. And with repentance comes restoration. And with restoration... God begins to release the kingdom of God within you. Now let me give you a little illustration today. These are just one dollar bills. But we're going to pretend they're thousand dollar bills. Pastor, there's no such thing as a thousand dollar. I realize that, okay? We're just using this as an example. So just say this was a thousand dollar bill. And if I came down here, and look, it's crisp, it's perfect, nothing's wrong with it. And I said, who wants this today? Every one of us in here would want it. We'd say, give it to me right now. But I've got this one, and it's all wadded up, and it's folded up, and it's all wrinkled and crinkled, and it's in my pocket, and I pull it out, and I say, who wants this $1,000 bill today? Everybody in here would want it. But let's go a step further. What if it was all wrinkled and folded up, looked horrible, and I threw it on the ground. I stomped on it. Kicked it around a little. Spit on it a little. And I said, who in here would want this $1,000 bill? Every one of us in here would want it. Why? Because no matter how it looks... And no matter how long it's been kicked around, drug around, and spit on, it still has never lost its value. It's still worth the $1,000 bill. <laughs> I really thought some of you may be, get up and start running in here. Just run around. That's me, Pastor. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says... We are His workmanship. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. When I begin to look at Ephesians 2.10, that word workmanship is rooted in the word renovated. Now, if I was to say, we're going to go renovate your home, there's a word that we would usually use for that. You know what it is? It's the word gutted. To renovate a house, you're going to gut a house. And so guess what? When you gut a house... You go in there and start tearing out everything that's bad and of no value. And so that's what God does. When he renovates us, he comes on the inside of us, and he begins to take all that junk out. And notice what I said. He does it. We don't do it. He does it. We begin to stand before him. We begin to say, Father God, grace me. Pull this out. Pull this out. And how many of you have ever seen a renovation done in one day? I've never seen one done in one day. It's a process. God's renovating you. God's making you a new creation reality. And so what ultimately has to happen is, number one, if you're eating up with guilt and shame, you got to let that go today. God did not put that, that tattoo on your heart. That's of the devil. And as long as you listen to him, you'll never get to your destiny. But when I begin to see myself like God does, everything changes. So here's the story here right now. I don't care who you are, if you're born again, You can be what God says you can be. You can have what God says you can have. And you can do what God says you can do. How does that look, Pastor? Well, I can tell you this. Almost 40 years ago, I didn't know Jesus at all. I didn't know the things of God. But when I gave my heart to Jesus, I began to realize He died for me. He took all my sin. And so when people would show me Scripture... I would look at that and I'd say, so Jesus did that for me. Let me give you an illustration. In Revelation 12, 11, it says you overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So what begins to happen when I begin to believe? I overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I begin to meditate on that. I'm an overcomer because of the blood of the Lamb it began to change the way. What if I said to you in, in Philippians four thirteen, you can do all things through Christ Jesus. Well, who said that? That is through the scriptures. And so guess what? When I begin to say about myself what God says, things change so I can do all things through Christ Jesus because my Father said so. And so ultimately, you've got to get to a place where you start saying what God says about you. And so it's one thing to meditate on the Word of God. You want to see the Word of God come alive in you? Not only meditate on it, but begin to speak it. Begin to speak out of your mouth the things God says about you. Woo, it'll, it'll, it'll bless you in incredible ways. So what happens here is through, through salvations through the born-again experience, God still takes messes and makes miracles. Guys, I'm not exempt from any of that. I've got a past. There's things in my life that used to shame me and used to guilt me. The things I've done before I was born again. And I'm telling you, Jesus came. And when Jesus comes, His blood is the stain stick to sin, guilt, and shame. He is the bleach to it. And it doesn't matter who you are. Bleach is no respecter of a person. I don't care who you are, if your breeches got stain on it, you put that bleach on there and it'll change it. Well, that's the same with the blood of Jesus. When you come under the blood, He'll rinse you, He'll wash you, He'll cleanse you, and you come out and you become a new creation reality. So listen, God's not done. He's not done with you. Psalms 139 says, I wonderfully and fearfully, and skillfully created the you. And he says in Psalms 139, the thoughts I have for you are good. Woo! He's a good, good God. He's a good God. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubic.com.